Welcome to another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dion. Today, I am joined by Michaela Karen. Michaela, thank you so much for coming on after, what was it, a year ago that you were on? So I'm really excited for today's episode. Yeah, thank you for having me again. I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself before we get started. Okay, so my name is Michaela Karen. I am an iOS engineer at a company called Lickability. So this is a company that's based out of New York City, but we are now 100% remote. Back when they first started, uh, Steve Jobs had said, like, apps will look so good, you'll want to lick them. So they took, like, that phrase and called their company Lickability. I didn't know that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was when macOS Aqua, I think, was first released. Was It was, like, in the early 2000s, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's very cool. Thank you again for coming on. I'm really excited to talk today about this topic, backends, because I've had a lot of questions. I don't know about you about, okay, I'm going to start this iOS app and I think I need a backend. Do you want to kind of first maybe explain what exactly we mean by a backend uh, and what what is that? how does that differentiate between like a front end, so to speak? Yeah, so we mean backend by like a cloud database of some sort, meaning some database to talk to where you can sync multiple devices, meaning your iPhone and iPad, or even upload data and then share it with somebody else. And so you're both like in sync and like seeing the same thing is the kind of backend we're talking about, as opposed to just a database for a single iOS app and the data is not shared anywhere. Yeah, like the database is stored on device, SQLite, Realm, Core Data, that kind of thing. That's not what we're talking about. PList, I don't know, XML file, JSON. And if you're interested in that, definitely check out the episode I did with Aaron Douglas on Core Data and SQLite and like local database storage and how that works. I highly recommend that episode. But yeah, we're talking servers, cloud databases, embasses, which we'll talk about. Let's first answer the question though like do you always need a backend in your app because there's a lot of reasons why you probably could get away with it get away with an app without a backend right Mm -hmm. yeah i had one app that i was going to make which is kind of like a shared grocery list sort of app but and i was and i kept worrying about like what backend am am i going to use for sharing all that data but i haven't even started to create the app yet because i was like debating the backend so long so really the app doesn't exist because i was debating this so long and it's like well i could just make it with a local database and then the app will at least exist and decide do people really want to share data and like go from there as opposed to like overthinking and over-engineering it like from the beginning. Like I literally have not written a single line of code because I've been debating this for so long. Or even like with this app, you could always just like share the JSON file, right? And just import it like of of shopping list items. Like you don't need necessarily a database. You can just share information that way. I think it's a really good point. One thing I was thinking about, we just, our last episode, we had uh, Renrik on and he's done a whole book on Music Kit. Like you could use a third-party service as essentially your database if they have some way of, of doing that, right? Like if if you're using MusicKit or using YouTube API or something like that, you could just use that as your like backend, so to speak, to store favorites or shared information and things like that because they should provide a lot of that tooling for you. So if you can get away with just using that third-party service, that's that's a great option as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, in a lot of cases, yeah, if you can go as long as you can without using any sort of backend, you definitely want to avoid adding more complexity to your app as long as you can, right? Yeah, definitely. So one thing I want to talk about before we talk about different kinds of backends is 
what kind of factors affect how you're going to make that decision? I think the biggest one off the top of my head is just what your employer or company uses, right? Or client, right? If they use a particular backend, that's what you're going to be stuck with. What what other factors do you think make make a difference in that decision? I think a big one along with like a company, if you're working at some kind of startup or enterprise, that really matters. But it also goes down to like yourself and or your team. So like if your whole team if you're like the only iOS developer on a team with like web developers, they all know JavaScript. So it may make more sense to have some kind of backend that uses JavaScript as opposed to using like Vapor and Swift because your whole team doesn't know Swift. It's like only you. So whatever your team uses, that may make more sense depending on like the situation you're in and whether or not like, yeah, just who who's around you basically for like what you end up making. And they could have like a whole backend team dedicated like to to the multi-platform app like if they're back-end developers or .NET folks or Java folks or Go folks or Python or PHP <laughs> that's what you're going to have to end up sticking with now let's say you have let's say it's just you and you have you can choose whatever you want what are how would you make that decision Michaela I am thinking about this because I do come from like a SQL kind of back or not backend SQL background. So like I know SQL databases and think of data in that way before I would think of it like within NoSQL relationships, which don't really have relationships. So like I could really choose anything because I do know both of them, but like picking whichever one, it goes down to also, I think, what kind of data are you saving? So like Firebase, you optimize Firebase and NoSQL databases by the reads that you have because that's like typically, that's what Firebase limits you on is the amount of reads and writes that you do as opposed to um, how that data is organized. You have to make sure you organize your data properly to optimize for those reads and writes. Whereas with like Vapor in saving it to like PostgreSQL or however you pronounce it, Postgres, with that, it's you're making your own API, which it doesn't care about the amount of API calls that you do. It's more about the amount of data that you're storing. So it goes down to what is your app idea and how do you want to store the data is sort of like where I've been at in my decision. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. So like like MBAS is a great way to like MBAS. What I mean is a mobile back end service like Firebase or some of the services that AWS offers, like I don't know what's SimpleDB. Is that what it is? There's AWS Amplify. Yeah, Amplify is like which we'll get into. Amplify is like a whole umbrella of services that includes the whole that's that's the whole kitchen sink, so to speak. But yeah, there's a, there's a service inside it if it's Dynamo or Simple, whatever is the the cheap one. Data store. Yeah, data store, something like that. Data store is the local one. I forget what the cloud one is though. We'll have we'll have the episode with with Kyle on that one, <laughs> so you can check that out. But yeah, those are nice because they're cheap and easy to get started. But they can rack up pretty quickly and they're complex. They, the kind of the onus of complexity for queries ends up being on you and how you store that data because then you end up with like map reduces and things like that. You also check out the episode I did with Eric because this was the exact issue Eric ran into with Firebase was like, it was great to get started. But then once he got into the weeds of it, it kind of like he got burned out dealing with how complex it is. Like, he just wished he'd gone with a SQL database. So it really depends on your situation. Like, what's your expertise? How how long-term is this app going to be? Because 
Yeah. I think that's a big part of it, right? Yeah, definitely. It's all about like, what is the data that you're storing? Because the decision that you're making is, how are we going to store the data? So you have to first think of, well, what is the data is where you have to sort of begin with that question. Yeah. Now, let's say you're a beginner. Let's say you're an iOS developer. You have no, you have no backend experience, which is actually a lot more common than you realize. What backend would you recommend to someone? I would say probably either Firebase or do MongoDB and Realm because both of those come with like your package sort of as in you have a packaged way to make database calls and it handles like the syncing with a local database all on its own. You don't have to kind of build those separately because typically you do have it where you have a local database that you may be wanting to save data to and then you push it to your cloud database. So with either Firebase, which could be the Firebase Firestore or the Firebase Real-Time Database, because there's now two of them. Right. Both of those, which first side tangent of that, Firebase Firestore and Real-Time are practically the same thing. And Firebase literally has a web page that has a comparison of which one should you use. And it's all about how often are you... Are you reading the data? And pretty much like, what is the data that you're saving? But then Firebase... So I'll say like Firebase as a whole, because again, yeah, Firebase is another like umbrella of everything. You have Firebase and then Realm with MongoDB, which Realm is again your local sort of storage. And then MongoDB is the company that owns Realm and does the whole cloud syncing of everything. Both of those, again, though, you package everything or it's all together. So all you have to do is like make the database call and make your model and everything. And then it kind of does the rest for you as opposed to building everything on your own. So I definitely choose one of those two. They're both NoSQL databases. So that's when you're still starting, you typically are dealing with JSON kind of data. So you're more used to that, I would say, as opposed to doing some kind of like SQL backend. I think I'd be interested to see like if someone didn't have SQL experience like we do, and they were doing a backend, whether it would matter whether they wanted to do a SQL backend or not. Because I'm wondering, like, if you were if you were more of a tabula rasa, right? You were totally blank on this stuff. And you're like, I don't know how to do foreign keys or any of that stuff. Like, would it just be easier for that person to do something in NoSQL? Like, for me, it's funny because NoSQL was a big deal 10 years ago, maybe. It was like, it's going to replace everything, right? And now it's, it's kind of fizzled out. But it's still, there's a lot of big use cases to where it's honestly to the advantage of someone like Google or Amazon to host it because it's so easy for them to host it and it's cheap. But like now it's like, I would like, I'm like you, I would be like my default is a SQL database because that's what works and it works in a lot of ways and it's been around for a long time for a good reason. But like there's so many cheap services that offer no SQL databases. It's like, there's an incentive to go that route too, if you can, I guess, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because with an iOS app, you have Codable, which can easily like encode and decode JSON objects. So you're already thinking within like those JSON kind of terms. So that's what you sometimes like and would end up wanting to use because of that. Like iOS just makes it so easy to handle those kind of objects. Right, exactly, exactly. I wanted to talk... You mentioned, we mentioned Amplify. So Google must have like, I guess Firebase is kind of their umbrella services, but there's these services like that Amazon and Google offer and probably Microsoft, honestly, where it like does, it does everything for you, right? Like you want, you want security, we do security keys. You want local database and 
uh, syncing yep. with cloud database, it does that for you. There's benefits to that, especially for starting off. Obviously, it could tend to be a situation that as the farther along you go, you're like, oh my gosh, I have to pay hundreds of dollars a month. And now I have to be stuck with their updates and I, yada, 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 right? So like there's benefits to that. And we did an episode, like I said, with Kyle on, on Amplify. Um, and we've done episodes on Firebase as well. Check those out in the show notes. But like there's benefits to that and there's drawbacks as well because you're kind of tied to it once you, you go that route, right? Yeah, it's definitely, I think the big sort of three that you pick from are Firebase with Google, AWS with Amazon, MongoDB and Realm, so which is owned by MongoDB. And then, but an up and comer though, as well as also super, what is that? Super base is actually, it's not super, super base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard about that. Yeah. Is an open source like alternative to Firebase. So that one could be, um, as well. I'm not 100% sure how fleshed out all their mobile API is because mobile is again, such a small market as compared to like web development. So I'm not sure if their mobile side in all their APIs are as fleshed out, but the other three definitely are. I'm not sure about if Microsoft has one because I never think of iOS and Microsoft because like Apple and Microsoft like don't get along. So I'd never think of like to have a backend and host it on any kind of Microsoft thing because Apple and Microsoft like they don't go together. <laughs> I think like Microsoft especially is like you're going to end up with Microsoft if you're in an enterprise environment, right? It's like the new IBM of a generation ago, right? So if you have Azure, like you're stuck with Azure as your backend. And it's just like any other backend. It's not going to be any different. Um, it's probably JSON returning and things like that. So, you know, it's it's going to be like any other other choice there. Hey, folks, it's that time of the year again. Conferences are starting up. We already just had the announcement for WWDC. But there's one developer conference I have talked about. This is probably the third year. And that's 360 iDev. It's a fantastic conference that you should definitely check out. It's had guests that we've had on the show, like Joe Chaplinski, Ben Chatelaine. We've even had the organizer, John Wilker, on the show just talking about conferences and, and how they've gone uh, last year. It's a really good conference. I'm planning on going in person, regardless of whether I speak or not. And you should you should definitely do it too. They do have a remote option as well. And if you use the code EmpowerApps, then you will get 20% off. So. I highly recommend taking this opportunity right now. Go to 360iDev, get a ticket for the show as soon as you can, and get 20% off. It's in Denver or remote. It's up to you, whatever you want to do. There's going to be a great set of guests. I can guarantee that. We've had some of those guests on. Folks like Ariel Michelli from App Figures and folks like Joe Chaplinski, Ben Chatelaine, and more. So take some time. Go to 360iDev. And I am really looking forward. Let me know if you are going, because I am really looking forward to seeing you there. Thanks. Before I jump into Apple and cloud, was there anything else you wanted to talk about before I jump on to point two? I would say the last thing is between those big three and possibly the fourth one, you could choose any of them and be fine. Like, I wouldn't strain too much about, especially as a beginner, I wouldn't strain too much about which one of those three that you choose. Firebase is really popular. They change their APIs though all the time. So like stuff changes a lot. I haven't used AWS and Mongo really as much, but I know Firebase changes a lot. So like sometimes it's hard to keep everything up to date. But either way though, between the three, 
just pick one. Just like throw them in a hat. Pick which one ever. Pick whichever one. No matter what you pick, it'll all like work out. So I think those services are really good for beginners um, who don't want to get into backend development. If you are into backend, if you are into backend development, let's say you have experience in in JavaScript, for instance. What have you looked at different hosts out there, and what what have you kind of come up with in that space instead? I don't know as much within the JavaScript kind of world because it's like a can of worms. There's like a, a lot in it. Right. But I mean, but just like any host, any server host, like have you looked at any of those? I know there's, because I know of it from sort of Vapor side, but like there's Nginx, uh, Docker, Heroku, like all of those are ways to host an API and a database. So pretty yeah. much like I think anything kind of works. <laughs> yeah. So we've we've worked with Heroku. Heroku is an interesting platform. It's unfortunately owned by Salesforce, so that comes with its own issues because it's probably a small peg in a large company. But um, Roku has an interesting setup to where you can, like, let's say you want a database, you get a database. You want to host an app, you can host an app. And you don't have to deal with a lot of the cruft of, like, because with a lot of these services, Linode, for instance, which I've shared um, on several episodes um, as a sponsor, sort of, um, or a referral, I should say. There's Linode, there's DigitalOcean, right? And then, of course, there's AWS, where you can, like, AWS uh, with EC2, I mean, where you basically get a whole machine. The problem with that, though, is now you have to set up Nginx or Docker or Supervisor to make sure your app is running. You have to do all the, like, which if you want to do, you are more than welcome to do. But now you have a whole can of worms you have to maintain. What I like about Heroku, despite its limitations, especially in the free tier, is you just add a database and then you say, here, host this app. And it's all done for you. Like, you don't have to deal with maintaining the server or any of that stuff, right? Like, that's what I like about Heroku. So if you want to, like, just do the app development without the hosting Apache and Nginx and all that crap, I would recommend going, trying out Heroku. Just try it out. Get your Node.js or your Vapor app set up or your Ruby, whatever. And just, they have tons of tutorials and build packs out there. It's totally something worth giving a shot because if you can get away from any of that maintenance stuff, that's like a big benefit to you. Yeah, I definitely agree. Because when you think about it, like iOS development, that's a single job. Backend development and DevOps, that's a, literally a different job. So like even making your own iOS app, do you want to have wear those multiple hats of be a back, be a DevOps person, be a backend, be a database person? Because it's a whole, like, it's literally an entire different job to do all of those things as well on top of your front end of your iOS app. Yeah. I think I just wanted to point that out about servers because you can go the ambassador route and get everything handheld for you, but then you have to deal with the SQL. But then with the with the custom backend, like, you get a lot more freedom, but then, like you said, there's a lot more maintenance and becoming a DevOps person. Yeah. A lot of configurations. <laughs> Okay, so I want to talk about the exciting news we got a few weeks ago. Something mm. that I'm really, I'm actually really excited about. <laughs> and it's funny they waited till after DubDub to talk about it. But you can now, you can now transfer your apps if they use iCloud. To me, this to me is like huge news because that's one of the big problems. I feel like. If we did this episode before that, I'd be like, yeah, here's the problem with using iCloud. Talk to Jordan Morgan about yep. it. Like, 
like you have to sell your whole company or you have to set up like what people have done is they will set up like multiple Apple developer accounts because if they sell the app, they had to sell the whole company with it, the whole developer account. Now you don't have to do that, which is super great because I've got an app myself, Heart Twitch, which uses CloudKit. I have a library which uses CloudKit. And like my, my apprehensiveness with CloudKit was always like you go that route. Yeah, have fun trying to sell your app because you're kind of screwed. But now you don't have that problem. So if you're building an app, CloudKit's like really cheap, I think, right? Like, have you looked at the pricing on CloudKit? I haven't lately. I remember seeing, I think, a dub dub video earlier when it's like CloudKit is practically free as long as you're not abusing it. So it's just like you can pretty much save everything unlimited. And it kind of really goes more back to the user and their actual limits on how much data they have more so than the developer. Oh, really? Okay. So CloudKit's like... So if you're building an iOS app, especially if it's in the Apple, only in the Apple space, I highly recommend CloudKit. Um, I've used it. It's fantastic. It's really easy to use. It keeps getting better, honestly, every year. Going back to your thing about Mongo and Realm, they have CloudKit and Core Data syncing. I believe that works pretty decent as long as you know how to do it right. Have you, have you played around with CloudKit at all? I haven't really. So like my like shared grocery list kind of app, it's I found out there is shared databases within CloudKit. So that's like the perfect sort of scenario and everything that like I was looking for, especially what's really nice about CloudKit is you do not have to log in in any kind of way. It like the Apple, it just works because it works with the user's like Apple account that they already have like on their device. That's like awesome and amazing. Um, so you don't have to have an actual login flow within your app, which is like super nice because that's like a lot of friction. Sometimes I'll just like delete apps if like they make right. me log in as like the first step. I'm just like, nope, you don't get anything because I don't even know if I like the app. I don't want to create a whole account to do that. So that's like super, super nice about CloudKit. But I haven't messed with it too much. I've watched, I'm starting to watch part of Sean Allen's like CloudKit kind of tutorial that he has. So I've like started to go through that. And then I'll probably decide if I really want to go forward with it for one of my own apps. But it's been not too bad. What happened with me was I, uh, with Heart Twitch, we, we, we know this common problem where you have a watch app and you want people to log in. And I did not want to open the can of worms with sign in with Apple. So I found it. There's CloudKit. And I'm like, great, perfect. So now uh, I ended up using CloudKit with that. Um, so there's like no login screen or anything. It just, you're logged in and you can go, which is awesome. I'm just trying to think. Uh, the only problem was I needed a way to, my back end had to know about CloudKit, right? And so then I ended up, like I always do, I just ended up writing my own library to for Vapor to talk to CloudKit. And it works. It works great. MissKit, I'll have a link in the show notes. And now, like, I'm I'm more, like, energy now to, like, work on MissKit because, like, if you have a Vapor backend and you want to talk to CloudKit, like, now there's even more incentive to talk to CloudKit because, like, so going back to what we were saying, if you do have a web front end, you can use CloudKit.js. It works okay. Like I've used it before. It's fine. So you got that. If you're running Android and you have a back, like you have a Node.js backend, you could run cloud, you could talk to CloudKit through that. So there's definitely ways to like use CloudKit outside of the Apple platform. I'm sure it's not the best experience, but if a majority of your users are an Apple, like it's cheap, it's way to go. So yeah, speaking of MBASs, that's definitely something you should look into if you're if you're majority Apple uh, platform-based, I guess. 
Yeah. So what else? I have a couple more questions, but I'll let you pick which one's next. Let's do what kind of backend service should you use for different kinds of builds or projects? Because that goes into like, what are, what are the different scenarios and which one would we choose? So what do you think? Well, what services should you use for different kinds of builds and projects? I guess, what does that mean, builds and projects? What do you think that means? I would say it's like, what is your app? Is your app going to be, are you trying to make a social media application? Because that takes like a lot of data planning. Like, how do you communicate with other users? Can you block other users? Like that whole like side of everything is a whole thing to think about. And depending on which one you choose of like even just SQL or NoSQL, that changes how you like lay out the data for everything. Right. Like I remember with, so like with Firebase, it has really good like authentication services along with it that are tied into it. So yeah, that would be a big benefit of going that route or even CloudKit, for instance. Another one is, like you said, if you're doing a social media app, like I think if I remember correctly, my history, um, like the big benefit of NoSQL was more the syncing of different servers and the fact that you didn't care if the data was like so much like it depends on like, do you care more about timeliness or correctliness, I think. And like NoSQL had benefits in that case to where it became more more popular in situations to where you had like a social media app or something like that, where it's just like constantly updating uh, information. And you, you care more about like, you know, it, you don't care about relationships as much, I guess, so to speak. So like that might, yeah. I, I totally agree with that. That's a good point. And then also you have like small indie projects where you may just sync your data between your different devices. That could easily fall into like your, what did, what did you call them? An embass of like Firebase of MongoDB and Realm slash um, or AWS Amplify and everything. Those can easily work together for like an indie app because of the fact when you're just syncing all of your data between your devices, you just either add some kind of listener or you just fetch the data because like, does it even need to be real time too? Because if it doesn't need to be real time, it doesn't matter which one you go with because you can either just fetch the data on some kind of view controller or view loading. But if it doesn't need to be like immediate, I change something on one device, I want to see it on the other one. If it doesn't have to be immediate, you just pull the data down whenever the view opens. If it does need to be, you just add a listener and it's super quick to see everything all together for an indie app like that. But like the only way I would say indie apps need to have a custom backend would just be if you want to really, because it's it's a lot of extra overhead to add a whole custom backend, like we were talking about, of setting up, you have to set up your server, set up like the environment of everything. That takes just a whole extra step of stuff to do. Right, exactly. So if you really want to go, if you really want to go custom, like you can with Vapor, which Vapor is a server-side Swift API framework. It's not the actual database. You still can choose different kinds of databases. Like you can choose to work with MongoDB with Vapor as your API. But like... It just depends on, do you really want to have the overhead of setting all of that up? Which I'm thinking of doing for one of my apps as well. Um, I'm going to start live streaming, like making an expense tracker app because it's pretty basic. And I kind of just want to try it with Vapor. So that's why I'm going forward with that like idea as opposed to just using a different like Embass solution. What are you looking at as far as where you're going to host your Vapor app? I'm thinking probably Heroku because it's easy yeah. as in all you all you need is like... Uh, Heroku website and you just do like 
it's pretty much like get push Heroku and it's like just it's there immediately because it's it's just like adding another remote repository. So it's super, super simple to set up. Um, and I don't think it has any there's not any big limitations, I would say, for an expense tracking app because expense tracking is literally just, you know, entering expenses, entering income. And that's it. Like you don't really do anything else with that. Um, and then in the end, this app will sync between multiple different devices. I'm going to start on Mac OS just like, just kind of because there's no reason really, but I'm going to start on Mac OS and then later transition it probably to iPad and then to iPhone as well. Okay. We should probably, well, let's, do you want to talk about Vapor a little bit? Yeah. I mean, we've had episodes on Vapor. We've had Tim on who's on the Vapor team and Tibor who's done a whole book on Vapor. I love Vapor. I'm only going to say good things about it, so I probably should shut up and let you talk about Vapor. <laughs> and, uh, you know, speaking of which, they had a WWDC talk with Vapor and how to do server-side development, which is awesome. For someone who's not familiar with back-end development, knows iOS development, explain Vapor to someone who just knows how to upload apps to the App Store. <laughs> so when you think about it, Vapor is like... It is the API that you talk to to talk to a database. So it is not your actual database. You'll still use MongoDB, Postgres. Um, what are the other ones that work with it? SQL or MySQL, SQL, SQLite. SQLite, um, yeah. So you still have an actual database that you have to like configure and everything. But Vapor is the API that you talk to. So when you like talk to Google API or sorry, like a Firebase API to like go fetch data, like go get document, it's that get document part. That's what Vapor is. So it is communicating to your database. So it's the intermediary between those two. And then basically you can make your own API as in I could have a call that does like get users and my get users function could decide, do I want to get everything about a user or do I only want like their username, for example, as opposed to you could also make your get users or get user all information or something like that. That could get all the information and you can really decide like, how do you want to divvy everything up and what information do you really want to come back to you? And depending on like how you make it, you can have multiple database calls within like that single API endpoint. You just have the one API endpoint that you hit. It might do like three different database calls in the background, but your iOS app only sees that one endpoint and gets the data back. So it's like super nice how you can customize exactly what you want to get back by making your own API or not not just get back information, but do some kind of calculation on the data as well. Right, yeah. So uh, the way it works is like Vapor is this, like you essentially are building a command line app and then you bring in Vapor as a Swift package and then it then hosts, you know, opens up port 80 or whatever port you want to open up on and then you talk to it on your app through that and then it will do all the busy communicating with the SQL server and you could write Swift code that will write all the SQL for you. It's it's really nice, especially with Fluent there. It's it's a great way to go. And like the benefit is you can debug your iOS app and your server side app at the same time. You can share models together. We've done that before. So yeah, definitely take a look at Vapor. Have uh, You're doing something on Vapor, right? Pretty soon? Yes. I have a Code with Chris series that I did. So Code with Chris is a YouTube channel and I was a guest like teacher on his channel. And I did an entire series that's like an introduction to Vapor and just how do you, what is it, how to use it and just make a basic like, it's called a CRUD application, which is create, read, update, delete. 
Um, cause those are like your four basic operations that you have, like for a database. So we make that kind of application within that uh, tutorial series. And then I'm actually about to go. So sneak peek. I'm actually about to go and update it so that, um, it uses async await. So we're going to add one more lesson onto it because when I recorded this series, it was right before async await was released, like for the Swift language. And then it was like, I think only a week or two later. And I told Chris at the time too, I'm like, Hey, by the way, we will need to update this like very quickly because async await is like literally right, right around the right. corner. And it came out like a couple weeks after that. So um after dub dub and everything, we're just now getting back. And async await's in vapor, right? Like it's, yes. it's fully built into vapor now. Yeah, which is awesome. It's in all the sample code and docs and everything. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm gonna go back, re not re-record the whole thing, but add add onto it of like, oh hey, instead of writing it this way, you can now write it this way. And it's like a lot easier um, to understand or async await is a lot like it's a whole different like conversation of backends, but it's it makes um, some database calls a lot easier to read. Right, right. And dealing with like future, like the event loop future that Swift Neo provides and all that stuff. Yeah, it's really nice. Before we end, a couple more questions I wanted to ask you. If someone wanted to learn, if someone had built it their career, right? Like the, and they want to learn more about building building a backend for an iOS app, what would you suggest besides your wonderful series with Code with Chris? What would you recommend somebody like just get started learning? Like even if it was a Node.js thing, like if they wanted to become more aware of backend systems and how they work with iOS, what resources would you recommend? Ooh, I would have to think, I know. So when I first started learning backends and data databases and everything, I had used a series because I was this was within like a Fortune 500 company. So it was all Microsoft shop and everything. So I was learning Microsoft SQL Server, which is Microsoft's database, which is different than MySQL or any other one. Um, I, I had a series. But the basic principles are more or less the same. So yeah. Yeah, it was um, a series, a YouTube channel. It was, I think, called Wise Owl Tutorials. So they went through like how to use pretty much like your basics of like what is SQL, like structured query language, because it is an actual programming language that you can use for queries, but you can program in it too. Like it has yes. if statements, it has for loops, like it has that kind of stuff in it as well. Um, so I use that series to learn more about how it all kind of works. And then um, went forward, went forward from there and learning like um, there's small differences like in syntax uh, for how you actually write SQL to get data out of a database. So like in um, T-SQL, which is like Microsoft's version of SQL, you would do like select top like 100 to get the top 100 rows versus in Postgres, you say like a limit, I think 100. So don't don't quote me, I think, but I think it's something like different like that. So it's like small syntax changes depending on the database that you're using, but they're all in the end, they're all SQL databases. So they're all like the same type of database, but they're all different flavors of it pretty much. So it's like we're all talking about ice cream. It's just like different ice cream flavors. They do something like a little bit different for each of them. But I use those series to learn like more what is a database and how you organize data. Because my background came from SQL databases, I learned that stuff first. And then later, Firebase has an entire playlist, which we can drop in the description below. It's a whole playlist on how to go from like your SQL-like knowledge to NoSQL. Because how you save data is like completely different and how you organize it on the back end is completely different. So they go like, this is what you would do in SQL. Like, here's what it looks like in NoSQL. Because like, it's weird. As in weird, because it's 
different than what SQL is and what I'm like think of like natively. So I'm like, that looks weird. But in reality, if you're coming from NoSQL, you're like, oh yeah, that's how it works. So like that's the kind of resource they have a whole playlist for like going from SQL to like NoSQL. And then I think their latest like cloud Firestore database YouTube series is also really good too. Yeah, I think that's a great, great point. Anything else you want to talk about before we close out? Are you speaking at any conferences? Not confirmed yet. I still have a couple that I've applied to, but we will see. It's I did submit a talk like about what we talked about here, which is about databases and depending on your situation, like which one would you choose? Yeah, so definitely we'll have to keep keep an eye on that because that'll be awesome. Yep, you have to follow me on like all the social medias, and then that's how you'll see what where I'm speaking at if I get invited. Well, let's let's get into it. Uh, well, first of all, thank you, Michaela, for coming on. I really appreciate it. What are those social medias, and how can people find you online? So, um, on Instagram, you can find me on just at Michaela Karen. Um, so I have like my whole name. But then on Twitter, it's Michaela two underscores and then Karen because I could not get my actual name and I couldn't get the one with one underscore. So on Twitter, there's two underscores like between my name, but it's just Michaela Karen. The hard part is you just have to spell my name correctly. But if it's spelled correctly on like show notes and everything, you'll be fine. And we'll have a link to your YouTube channel as well and probably some YouTube card thing here somewhere during the talk. So thank you so much, Michaela, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me again. It was great talking to you. And it's insightful, too, because I'm like, this is the question that I've been deciding like myself of what database do I want to (laughs) use? Yeah, and it's a big deal. Totally a big deal. Thank you again. People can find me online at LeoGDN. My company is Bright Digit. Take some time to post your review on whatever podcast listener you're listening to this on or like and subscribe if this is on YouTube. Give me some feedback. Let me know if there's anything else you want to hear about uh, in future episodes. We've got two more left and then I will be taking off all of August. So I have uh, Daniela on. We will be talking about improving your professional development and then uh, we'll have Luis on from NS Spain on um, and then we will be back in the fall. So talk to you later. Bye. Bye.